Good evening, everyone, and welcome back once again to another edition. If, if you smell what the arch is cooking, I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and tonight I am once again flying solo. My partner in crime, Mark Brew, has had a lot going on with his work days, and I will never ask any man who's working a 13 or 14 hour workday to now come jump on a podcast with me. No, no, no. I don't know if you smell what the arch is cooking. So, Mark, rest up, my friend, and whenever you are ready, the door is open for you to return. You will always be my brother from another mother, and you will always be my partner in crime. So, your chair is waiting for you. Um, on other news, in regards to actual wrestling, uh, Mark will be hosting a show in March in Georgia. Uh, anyone who is looking to get some tickets or head down there, to uh, meet some of the stars that he will have there with him, such as former WCW star Lodi, uh, as well as um, Big Sin, um, and a couple of other great indie talents. Um, AK, uh, his tag team partner, Frazier, the Flyboys, I believe, are their tag team name. He's going to have incredible, incredible talent on there. Contact Mark Brew. And get yourself a ticket if you are in the area or close by. You don't want to miss such a great night of wrestling action. As for this evening's show, we will be looking at, of course, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage, along with some quick hits sprinkled in. I made the mistake and opened my frosty beverage before we went on the air. I'm sorry about that, but cheers. Let's get into some quick hits. Our first quick hit is Sunny, a.k.a. Tammy Lynn Sitch, has once again been arrested in New Jersey, this time on weapons charges and making terroristic threats. Uh, this is not the first time that Sunny has been into it with the law. I believe this is the fourth time in five years that she has been arrested. Last time she did some time, and I have no doubt about it that she will once again be placed into jail for... God knows who much time, who or how much time uh, this time around. I wish her the absolute best, though. When stories start to get this bad about wrestlers that you once idolized, or in her case, were in love with, um, you don't want to hear that they took it too far with the drugs or the alcohol abuse, or if she's got now weapons on her, such as guns. You don't want to hear that they finally took their own lives or... God forbid, oh, deed. I wish her the absolute best. I hope that this time she gets clean and sober while she's in prison. She comes out and makes a better life for herself. I had the chance to meet her uh, this past September on my birthday at the um, Legends of the Ring in Philadelphia. Uh, I was a guest of the Asylum. Thank you, David Gold and Nick, Fl uh, Nick Francis and uh, Jeff Morlock for allowing me to be there. Um... And while there, I got a chance to meet her and take a picture and let her know that I've been a fan for quite some time. So uh, it's just a little heartbreaking to hear that this has happened. But again, I wish her the absolute best in a speedy recovery. If she does have to do some jail time, I hope she does her best while she's in there. Secondly, Alaya, new SmackDown uh, stardy who was on NXT in the past, 
broke the record for fastest win in the WWE. The record was once held by Trish Stratus, and now Alaya, with 3.23 seconds, beat Natalia this past Friday night on SmackDown uh, in 3.23 seconds. So they're boasting that Alaya has now got the quickest win. I hope this will lead to her getting a much-needed push, because when she was taken out of the Women's Survivor Series match, she was basically dumped to the wayside and hasn't been seen since. So I'm hoping with a win like this over a caliber of athlete like Natalia, it allows Aliyah to be pushed up the card. I know that she's not going to be women's champion yet because Charlotte Flair has a chokehold on that belt. But I do hope that it leads, leads, leads her to get matches on SmackDown and to have a good quality career while in the WWE. What I don't hope happens is that this is just another running joke for the WWE having this happen and allowing her to do this because all this will do is hurt her career. And when you think about it in the long run, <laughs> it hurts Natalia's career. Natalia is a former women's champion and Divas champion in the WWE. She has just recently lost the women's world tag team titles. Her and Tamina were champions just a couple of months ago. So for them to do something like this and basically shit on two women at once, Aliyah and um, Natalia, I hope that's not the case. But maybe I'm just worried because I've seen this happen before to other talents and I don't want to see it happen again. In any case, congratulations to Aliyah or Aaliyah. I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong, but that's kind of my shtick here. Uh, Aliyah, uh, congratulations on now having the fastest win record in the WWE, and will be soon in Guinness World Record books. And finally, our third and final quick hit, Billy Gunn, oh, you didn't know, <laughs> decided to take out a trademark for the New Age Outlaws uh, to be used on merchandise. Why? Well, because he and the Road Dog are now both completely gone from the WWE, uh, Road Dog was just recently re released. Billy has been in AEW since it started. And the two of them are going to now start teaming again to do meet and greets and fan festivals and conventions. Uh, and who knows, Road Dog may pop up in AEW and we might see another run for the New Age Outlaws. Uh, so Billy went ahead and put in the uh, trademark to use that name, as I said, on merchandise. And I'm sure in AEW or wherever they pop up. I do know that the uh, New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn, and Road Dog will be appearing with the Asylum next month for a virtual meet and greet. That should be fantastic. Uh, I've been a part of a lot of their meet and greets as I am an admin there, and they do their absolute best when they bring on their top quality talent to ensure that you get to meet them, you get a few moments to speak with them, and you get an amazing autograph on either a figure, 8x10, or a piece of used memorabilia from whoever the star is. So I am have no doubt that David Golden, Nick Francis, Mike Zecca are going to once again go all out to have whatever they can from the New Age Outlaws. Uh, so, And it'll be interesting to see where Road Dog lands and if he and Billy again start teaming up inside the ring. So with that being said... We now move on to our show review, and our first show is NXT 
Ron Breaker opens the show, pays respect to Tommaso Ciampa, and says he will prove why he has become the NXT champion every time he steps in the ring. And I have to say, this kid has a convincing look and verbiage about him that I believe everything that he's saying. He says that whoever thinks that they're going to go in and train, well, he'll be there already training. Whoever wants to go ahead and watch videos, he'll be there watching the videos before they get there. And whoever wants to go home early can, because Braun Breaker will stay and put in the work that is necessary. And having seen what Rick, his father, Rick Steiner, and his uncle Scott Steiner did in their past, knowing what they've done inside and outside of the ring, I have no doubt that Braun Breaker is going to enjoy a lot of success as the NXT champion. Very proud of him. The minute I saw him step through the door in NXT, I said this is the guy who's going to take NXT into the next millennium uh, and in the next, you know, uh, that next year. So if he is the NXT 2.0 guy, more power to him. Uh, we then had uh, Zion Quinn taking on uh, Escobar of uh, Legado del Fantasma. And he basically, what we had going on here was Quinn said to Electra Lopez, if I win, you can go with me, or you can stay with Escobar if he wins. This was a good back-and-forth fight. Yes, I said fight. These two tried to make one another uh, and take each other apart. Uh, there was a lot of hatred that's been brooding in this storyline from Escobar trying to injure Quinn, Quinn trying to uh, take out Legado del Fantasma, trying to steal Electra Lopez from them. Quinn had the upper hand, but then Electra hit a low blow. This allowed Escobar to get the win in 13 minutes, and this was a really good opening match for NXT. Tony D'Angelo talks about a crowbar on a pole match that he will have against Pete Dunne later on this evening. Did Vince Russo get rehired and I wasn't aware of it? What the fuck? Cameron Grimes takes on newcomer Kemp. Kemp actually showed off a great amateur style and had a couple of good-looking suplexes. Grimes, however, went to the air and hit a great splash and a double stop to get the win in four minutes. It was I was expecting a squash match, but we didn't get that. Kemp actually showed off a bit and even had uh, Malcolm Bevins come out looking at him possibly to join uh, his group, the Diamond Mine. So I uh, can't definitely call that a squash match. We hear from Joe Gacy next, uh, and he and Harlan will be taking part of the Dusty Classic. Should be interesting to see how they work together as a tag team. The announcers tell us that Von Wagner has been suspended because of his action last week. Good. Maybe he can learn to talk while he's off in his suspension because the guy cannot put a sentence together, in my opinion. And now we come to our tag team match that we just spoke about a moment ago. It's going to be Harlan and Joe Gacy taking on N4 and Blade, two newcomers here in NXT who are making a lot of waves, giving the fans a great show. This was a total one-way match, though. From bell to bell, Gacy proved he can actually wrestle and hit a devastatingly-looking Sambo suplex. Harlan got tagged in, and he abused both N4 and Blade. He continued attacking Blade in the ropes after the referee reached five. And the referee just totally DQ'd Gracie, Gacy and Harlan, giving the win to N4 and Blade in six minutes. I'm not understanding this booking. You have been booking Harlan as a beast. And Gacy is this mad scientist, creepy, you know, goth, you know, cold guy. 
And then when they finally have a tag team match together, Harlan goes so crazy that he causes them to win and a chance to be in the Dusty Classic. And Gacy is just sitting there with a smile on his face. This was bad booking, in my opinion. They should have went over, and if this was going to be a tag team in the Dusty Classic, well, then by all means, this is the tag team that should have won it, because in my opinion, Harlan should be unbeatable. We then hear from Walter and Imperium. It seems Walter is now fully in the U.S. and on NXT 2.0. I'm all for that. Imperium is a great tag team. Walter is one of the absolute best. They don't call him the ring general for anything. Uh, then it is time for the crowbar on a pole match. I'll be damned. Uh, Pete Dunn taking on uh, Tony D'Angelo. This was hard fought and a great brawl. D'Angelo has grown in the ring since his debut. And uh, Dunn uh, had a couple of good-looking suplexes here. Um, Dunn fought back and targeted the fingers and arm of Tony D. Tony, Tony finally got to the crowbar. And actually dropped it when he got down and built and tried to destroy each other with crowbar but kept missing. I guess I understand why. The referee then took a chair away from Pete Dunn. So let me get this straight. They could murder each other with a crowbar, but a chair is no, no. Uh, he then asked for a rope break. What, what is this a no disqualification match because it's a crowbar or a pole match, or is it just the fun part of hitting each other with a crowbar? Uh, in any case, D'Angelo hit Dunn in the head with the crowbar and got the win in 15 minutes. The match was good, but again, bad booking here. You cannot tell me that it's a crowbar and a pole match and not have me expect it to be a no-disqualification match and then tell me, oh, wait, but they can't use a chair and there are rope breaks. That makes no sense. Moving on, we have a six-woman tag team match, which was kind of put together last week. And it is Amari, Carter, and Catarazano taking on Indy Hartwell, Parada, and Wendy Cho, who has a sleeping gimmick. That's right, whenever they film her, she's sleeping. In fact, during this match before she's tagged in, she's sleeping on the apron. Good women's six-man tag match here with some surprises. Hartwell and Parada are a powerhouse team, and I think they deserve a shot at the titles. Uh, Wendy Cho, although, again, she has this stupid sleeping gimmick, um, girl could go. Uh, she threw an amazing-looking German suplex, and then I had an arm suplex. I mean, she's given Hook a run for his money with that suplex game. Um, in the end, Wendy, Indy, and uh, Parada pick up the win in eight minutes. Again, good women's match. MSK are messing around backstage, bump into Dakota Kai. She scared the crap out of them and then runs off. Sequoia says he's ready for Boa, no matter what personality shows up, and apparently that match is next. Uh, Kaylee Ray then destroyed Mandy Rose's photo shoot area, sends a message to the women's champion. Now, I like that they're finally pushing Kaylee Ray, because in my opinion, she just sort of came to NXT in the United States, and really they haven't done much with her except for the War Games match. So I think that she should be the next one uh, challenging Mandy Rose. Even if she doesn't win, I think it would mix, make for a good mix of style. <coughs> Back up to the ring, and we have Sequoia taking on Boa. Both guys threw hands and chops at one another throughout this quick match. Boa took control for a minute with a headlock, but Sequoia fought back. They battled to the outside, and the referee counted both men out at the five-minute mark, <coughs> ending this match in a double countout. 
And again, this is, in my opinion, <coughs> bad booking. You've been leading to this match for like three weeks now. Bowen never changed into that face-painted uh, personality of his. And, I mean, to end in a count-out, it's just, I don't know, ba again, bad booking. Backstage, AJ Styles says he appreciates seeing the fight between Boa and Sokoa that they brought out there in their match. Carmelo Hayes arrived to the arena in a Bentley. And then we see Boa blind Sokoa with a flash of fire. And the referees and security try to pull them apart. <coughs> Excuse me. Why didn't we do this out in the ring? Why was this not done in front of the NXT audience? <coughs> Why was this not done to further their match and further their, their feud in the ring? Why did it happen backstage? Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams hit the ring. They poke fun at Roderick Strong and boast about Hayes' title unification. Hayes' new cocky attitude is paying off here, in my opinion. So more power to him. AJ Styles now makes his way out to the ring for his main event match with uh, Grayson Waller. And he passes by the North American champion, which they each shoot each other a glance. Hayes and Williams then are met outside next to their Bentley by Cameron Grimes. And Grimes warms Mello. He's coming for the gold, and it's main event time in the NXT arena. I actually like the idea of Cameron Grimes versus Mello. I believe they've had a match before on NXT. And Cameron Grimes got the win. This was before Mello started finally winning and coming into his own. So it wouldn't it would be a great, you know, change of pace for Mello instead of a technical wrestler like Roderick Strong to go against another high flyer and innovator like Cameron Grimes. I'm 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 down for it. <laughs> and then it is main event time. AJ Styles versus Grayson Waller, and this was a technically sound as it gets. Styles and Waller traded shots, suplexes, and kicks, and holds throughout the match. Uh, it was like a chess game. One man would move, the other would counter, and back and forth we would go. Waller had an answer to the calf crusher and the phenomenal forearm, and the Styles clash at one point. He actually had a nice counter for AJ, but couldn't put AJ away. Styles finally landed the forearm and got the win in a brilliant 15-minute main event. Post-match, Styles said Waller is good, but not phenomenal. And then he introduced them to an old friend of his, and it was the returning L.A. Knight. Knight takes out Waller, and the show closes. I'm giving this a 3 out of 5. Good matches, decent storytelling, but bad booking where it mattered. Why? Well, you can have great matches on a show. And you can tell me a great story with those matches, but if there are matches that are convoluted in that don't make any sense or the endings kind of hurt them, well, then by all means, you're hurting your overall product. So three, point, three out of five this week basically gives it a C grade for NXT. It's not exactly bad, though. I did enjoy the show. I enjoyed the actual wrestling matches that happened. Nothing was just a... There were no... Um, there were no jobber matches where, you know, one, two, three, it's over. There were good, solid outings in the ring. I just wish a couple of things would have been changed. Uh, and the booking decisions with Harlan and Joe Gacy and Boa and Sokoa and Tony D'Angelo and Pete Dunne. Moving on to AEW Dynamite. And uh, we start off with Adam Cole in the ring with uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. They are apparently now going to be known as the Paragon. 
and Cole boasts about his accomplishments being undefeated in singles action, and then they get interrupted by the Young Bucks. And they don't look too happy here about Adam Cole hanging out with Red Dragon, Christian O'Reilly. Um, and Cole calms the situation down and then talks shit about the best friends who make their way to the ring. It turns into a giant five-on-five brawl, and there are bodies everywhere. Chris Statlander tries to come to the aid of Orange Cassidy, but Britt Baker comes out of nowhere, taking out Statlander, and it ends the segment with Britt kissing Adam Cole instead of the Young Bucks kissing Adam Cole. So apparently, the Paragon is now Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, the Young Bucks, and Britt Baker. I like it. I really do like it. <coughs> First match of the night is Wardlow taking on CM Punk. Punk attempted to make this a regular match and tried to use his strikes. Wardlow just kept shoving him off and trying for one big knockout punch. Punk continued to land his kicks, but Wardlow finally caught him, and the big guy hit five power bombs and was about to pin Punk, but MJF wanted more. Wardlow hit number six. When he finally went for number seven, Punk rolled him up and got the win. One, two, three. Punk rolled to the outside. Wardlow then decided to follow him and put Punk through a table. Uh, other wrestlers came out to get Punk to the back. And Wardlow and MJF stayed in the ring. MJF snapped on Wardlow about not getting the job done. Wardlow looked like he was ticked off about everything that MJF did in his, in his match. And um, Sean Spears hit the ring, hoping to get cooler heads to prevail, and made the save for MJF and helped Wardlow get to the back without killing Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Now, I'm not going to lie here. I like the way this match was done. Apparently, it was to pay homage to Red Hart and Diesel at the Royal Rumble. And they did a fantastic match. If you go watch those two matches side by side, it was done greatly. However, what I don't like is taking Wardlow away from MJF. If this is just a tease, tease it, but don't do it. Because, in my opinion, Wardlow in the pinnacle right now, as he continues to grow as a monster, is the same as Diesel was with Shawn Michaels. And he continued to grow into a monster. And then that Survivor Series rolled around where he knocked out his entire opponent team. And then went off on HBK for hitting him with a super kick. That's the way that this partnership should end. Not just because Wardlow got pissed and MJF got involved in his match. But I do digress. We then go to Hobbs taking on Dante Martin. This started off as high speed with Martin hitting Hobbs quickly and sending him to the outside with a dive. Hobbs caught Martin and landed a slam on the outside floor. They continued back and forth. Ricky Starks tried to get involved. But out of nowhere, he gets shut down by Jay Lethal, of all people. I kind of forgot Jay Lethal was still employed by AEW. Martin hits his moonsault on Hobbs and got the win in a 12-minute match. Good match and a good storyline progression by involving Jay Lethal. I think that Dante Martin needs a little help going against Team Taz. Backstage, the inner circle and Chris Jericho talk about being the PWI faction of the year. Eddie Kingston interrupts, and he and Jericho exchange words. These two are ready to explode. MJF then heads back out to the arena and throws a tantrum. In the midst of throwing this tantrum, he books CM Punk and 
Sean Spears for next week. <coughs> he is teasing us with him versus Punk. I like it. I'm thinking we're going to have to wait until the next pay-per-view before we even get close to seeing CM Punk versus MJF. So, Sean Spears and then probably built members of the FTR tag team uh, and whoever else MJF can come up with to throw at Punk in between this time of now getting to the pay-per-view. Uh, Cole, the Bucks, Red Dragon, and Britt Baker are backstage, and Britt challenges Chris Statlander to a mixed tag match. It will be Statlander and Orange Cassidy versus Britt and Adam Cole next week. We have to wait and see if it's going to happen, but yes, please, let's see it. Adam Page is out next. He talks about the two great matches that he had with Brian Danielson. He said in the new year he's ready for all challenges, and out comes Dan Lambert. Jesus, whenever I want this guy to go away, he pops back up. Lambert says that Paige is a fake cowboy and is disrespecting other cowboys' past. Paige invites Lambert into the ring, but Lance Archer makes his return and attacks Paige. The murder hawk hits the blackout on her chair and leaves Paige laying in the middle of the ring. I like Lance Archer. I've met the guy before. I have his action figure, and I think that he versus Adam Page is a great next feud. Um, do I think that Lance Archer should be the World Heavyweight Champion? Down the road, yes. But right now, I will say this. My stamp is on Adam Page to be the World Heavyweight Champion for quite some time. And then whoever they want to put the belt on after, that's fine. But I don't mind seeing Lance Archer challenge Adam Page for the title once or twice. Maybe in a hardcore match. You name it. Let's see it. Backstage, Arn Anderson gives a pep talk to Lee Johnson and his son, Brock Anderson. Tully Blanchard walks up, and FTR challenges them to a tag match next week, which is accepted. Arn and Tully shake hands. I kind of like to see where this is going, because Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson are a new, young, relative tag team. FTR are the experienced team. It's going to be fun to see what's going to happen between both of them. Uh, then we go to the ring for Sheeta versus Serena Deeb in what feels like their 10th match in the last couple of months. I don't mind it, though. They always change it up, and they did it right here. Match starts on the ramp with Deeb attacking the leg and knee of Sheeta. They finally get in the ring, and uh, Deeb tears at the knee pad, locks in her submission, which looks like an inverted tequila sunrise, uh, and the referee stops the match with the three minutes, and Deeb is our winner. Post-match, Deeb continues to attack the knee of Sheeta with a kendo stick. Referee Aubrey restrains her long enough so to get Sheeta out of the ring, and it doesn't seem like this is over anytime soon. I guess, fight forever. Jurassic Express is now backstage. A lot of talking on this show. Uh, good matches, but a lot of talking in between the matches uh, here tonight. Jurassic Express, Express is backstage with Christian who talks about who will challenge first for their newly won tag team titles. Well, here's the Dark Order. John Silver and Ryan, uh, uh, and Reynolds uh, walk up and accept the challenge. Match will happen this Friday night at Rampage, so we'll be covering it in just a bit. That should be a great match. Both tag teams are phenomenal. I don't see any issue between them except for having a great match. Hardy, Matt Hardy taking on Pentagon before the match. Hardy says that Phoenix got injured because he's a Sorry, excuse me, of a wrestler, and that he will do the same to Pentagon here tonight. Very solid showing between Matt and Penta. Matt still has a lot left in the tank. 
I will never take that away from him, despite me not liking him. And he showed it with his moveset against his opponent. But Pentagon used innovative offense, like usual, and threw Hardy for a loop. He hit his fear factor and got the win in a 13-minute matchup. Great matchup between these two. However, it's what happened post-match that I really liked. Post-match, <coughs> Pentagon calls out Malachi Black, which is answered immediately. Black and Penta have a battle of kicks, which Black wins. Pillman and Grayson hit the ring and help Penta take down Black until the lights go out a second time. And, oh shit, Brody King is finally in AEW. He has debuted and destroys everyone. This big man is a mixture of Brody Lee, God rest his soul, and Pierre Carl Willette from the Quebecers. What I mean by that is, for a guy that's over 300 pounds, he does these flips and dives like nobody else can. But then he's got that inner strength and monstrous ability like Brody Lee did. Um, and now he has aligned himself with Black. Unbelievable to see this big man in the ring. Former Ring of Honor tag team and six-man tag team champion. So it'll be good to see what he and Aleister Black do. And then the Acclaim take on Bear Country. AEW's tag team vision has a lot of hidden surprises. Bear Country is one of them. And we both of these guys hit innovative backbreakers and double-team moves on the Acclaim. Caster and Bone make the comeback, though. Pick up the win after a caster elbow drop, where he basically went three-quarters of the way through the ring and hit his elbow at the 13-minute mark. Great tag team matchup here. Very well done. Post-match, Sting and Darby Allen attack the acclaimed and get some revenge from a couple of short weeks ago. I want to see this match. AEW needs to put it together. And honestly, if anybody's going to beat the undefeated streak of Sting and Darby Allen, it should be... Uh, the acclaim because they want that uh, grittiness and that, you know, unbelievable ability to happen. I say go for it. We hear a promo from Pac, who's been blinded by Malachi Black. Pac gives an eerie promo, but I want him back in the ring quickly. He says, in a world without sight, the blind man is king, and he has now got a new vision. I can't wait to see it. It also looks like we may be seeing a partnership between Matt Hardy and Andrade. I don't know how I feel about this, though. Andrade just seems to be always making a partnership with somebody when he should be actually having matches in the ring. But I guess they're using him sparingly right now. And then it's bedtime and the interim TNT championship. Uh, we need to talk about that in a second. Uh, Daniel Garcia taking on Sammy Guevara for the interim TNT title, best match of the night, and that's saying a lot because there were some great ones on this card. Garcia used a ground technique and caught Sammy in a couple of different submission moves. Sammy used his speed and high flying and even used a crossroads at one point. In the end, tons of interference allowed Guevara to hit his GTH and get the win in 17 minutes. Very well done by both gentlemen. Post-match 2.0 attack Guevara, but Kingston and Jericho make the save and then almost come to blows with each other. I'm giving this a 4.5. As, like I said, it was a great show, but a couple of dragging promos, like the Andrade and Matt Hardy promo, and, um, you know, the opening with Cole and, and the Paragon and everything didn't need to be as long as it did. So 4.4 out of 5. 
gives them a B plus in my opinion, very well deserved. Uh, wanted to talk about something, but you know what? I think I'm going to save that because I didn't have a grinds my gears. I think I'm going to save that for grinds my gears. Let's go into AEW Rampage. Cole versus Trent Barreto. I love it when shows start off with a match. This one didn't disappoint. Trent had control of most of the match and was able to counter the Panorama Sunrise into his own finisher, but only got a two. <coughs> Tons of outside interference from the best friends and Red Dragon led to Cole hitting the boom kick and picking up the win in 11 minutes. Solid, great opener between two young talent that have met in the ring many times over PWG, Ring of Honor, and New Japan. You ain't going to get no better than two, these two, in my opinion. We then hear from Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez about their latest troubles. I cannot wait to see these two ladies hook it up. And I know they have a lot of history, so it's going to be really great to see them tell a story inside that ring. Sean Spears then takes on Andrew Everett, and this was a one-minute squash match. And Spears basically hit a snapmare and then his finishing DVD driver for the win. But why? Well, post-match, Spears put over his match with CM Punk coming up next week on Dynamite and said he will finally prove all of his credit, uh, all of his um, his doubters wrong and will finally get the credit that he deserves with one single win over CM Punk. I'm not buying it yet, Sean, but make me a believer. The Acclaims rap video about Sting and Darby Allen played next, and the less said about this, the, uh, the better. So let's just move on. It was terrible. Terrible. Statlander, Hirsch, and Velvet, uh, Red Velvet taking on uh, Penelope Ford, Nyla Rose, and the Bunny. Decent women's tag team match once again, like I said earlier, with NXT right here on Rampage as well. Um, Velvet continues to grow inside the ring, as does Penelope Ford. Bunny keeps getting weirder and weirder, and she needs to go back to normal. Uh, Nyla Rose didn't do much, and the main story was Statlander and Hirsch having heat between each other and being on the same team. Statlander put on a sick-looking submission on Penelope Ford, but couldn't get the win. Hirsch tagged herself in, got knocked out, and Bunny got the win for her team in 12 minutes. Again, decent, nothing great, but decent six-woman six tag. We then hear from the men of the year and Dan Lambert, and they're saying, same as usual, uh, you know, being overlooked, screwed coast, screwed Cody Rhodes. Nothing new here, just the same complaining. Jay Lethal then walks out on the stage and challenges Ricky Starks. And honestly, I said it earlier, I, I, this is something I want to see. Nice mix of styles. Jay Lethal has been in the ring 20 years. Ricky Starks, just this new up-and-comer. He seems to be the centerpiece of Team Taz. Let's see it, ladies and gentlemen. And then main event time. Jurassic Express versus Dark Order. Incredible main event. Dark Order proved that they earned their title shot. The four-man Tower of Terror in the corner was incredible looking, and Jungle Boy's Hurricane Conrana from the apron to the floor on silver was great. Luchasaurus hit his finisher on Reynolds and got the win in a 15-minute matchup. In my opinion, incredible main event. Might even be a little bit better than AEW Dynamite's main event. And it was, a, you know, main event on a, a great main event on a decent show. Why do I say that? Well, I'm giving this show a three out of five this week. The opener and the main event were excellent. Everything else in the middle was just subpar. And it's not really a knock at AEW. Their in-ring talent is phenomenal. 
Sometimes, though, they go out of their way to tell a story that maybe isn't needed to be told just yet. Um, so, you know, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, now on to the final part of the show. And it's time for one that we haven't had in a couple of weeks. Do you know what really grinds my gears? The fact that AEW went ahead and made an interim TNT championship because Cody Rhodes wasn't going to be there at Battle of the Belts. Cody Rhodes is coming back this week on AEW Dynamite. He will be back this week. Now, I understand he probably had filming for the go-home show and his reality show, and I'm not knocking Cody Rhodes in any way. I like Cody Rhodes. I like what he's doing in the ring. I love what he's doing for the business. I would not knock this man for anything. He is a workhorse. AEW, though, made an interim champion because Cody was going to be gone for two weeks. Now, I understand that the AEW TNT title is um, like a television title, and it does have to be defended certain amount of times there is no 30 days non-compete clause or anything like that where a champion has to defend his title but when darby allen was the champion he went like three weeks in a row without defending it at first Brody lee only defended the title four times in his two and a half months as champion sammy guevara and cody rhodes are the only two that i saw defending the belt constantly even miro I think he defended the belt five times in his seven times as champion, seven weeks as champion. Why the fuck would you hurry up and make an interim champion? I understand the idea is to get Sammy another shot at the title. I understand that you like Sammy Guevara. I do too. I understand that you want Cody in the picture. I do too. But we all know what this is leading to. It's one of those rehashed damn storylines in wrestling that didn't need rehashing because it was done so well the first time. Don't know what I'm talking about will allow me to reiterate. Shawn Michaels was having a hard time with the WWF, refusing to play ball the right way, and at the time was the Intercontinental Champion. So Vince McMahon booked a, a battle royal for the vacant Intercontinental Championship and Razor Ramon, Rick Martel were the last two in the ring. They went on next week, the following week, to have a battle for the Intercontinental title. Razor Ramon won it. A couple of weeks later, when Shawn Michaels showed back up, he had his Intercontinental title. Therefore, he was claiming Razor was a paper champion. Fine and well. How do we fix that? Well, in WrestleMania 10, we're going to have a ladder match. And it was one of the best damn ladder matches, if not the best damn ladder match I've ever seen in my life. And then they had another one a few years later at Survivor Series, which some people say was even better than the first one. But in any indication, the WrestleMania ladder match for the two Intercontinental titles to unify them was one of the best matches I've ever seen. And a lot of people will say the same thing. 
Why am I bringing this up? Because that's what this is leading to. Cody will walk back up next week with his TNT title. And Sammy will walk out with his TNT title. And they will go ahead and put a match together between Sammy and Cody. And I have no problem with that. And I have no problem with it being a ladder match. But Cody could have taken his two weeks off because he was injured or apparently he might have had COVID or he needed to film some, some TV shows. That's fine, too. Could have came back, had the match with Daniel Garcia. Sammy Guevara could have said he wanted a rematch. We could have gotten to this match. It could have been a damn ladder match. They've had two matches already where Cody's beaten Sammy. They could have had a ladder match. My point being is sometimes rehashing things in wrestling become old, redundant, and unneeded. We've rehashed the Montreal screw job way too many times. We have rehashed the Stone Cold Steve Austin is bitter at his boss way too many times. We've rehashed the boyfriend's girlfriend turning on him and joining the bad guy and and or maybe not joining the bad guy, joining the good guy from the bad guy. I understand there are only so many storylines in wrestling. The key ones being, I want your belt. We were former tag team partners. You stole my girlfriend. I don't respect you. You know, there's so many storylines in wrestling that you can do. And eventually you end up rehashing old ones over and over again. But there was no reason to do that this time because there were other ways to get to Guevara versus Cody 3. And I just think that AEW and their microwave booking. Look, I praise AEW on this show constantly. I went to a lot of their their live taping of Dynamite and Rampage last week. I was ecstatic with the show I saw. I love everything about AEW. I am a fanboy. But every now and then they do something that does piss me off. Their microwave booking this time has gotten them to go from having a really probably great third match between Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara and making it now look like a thrown-together wannabe Sean versus Razor or, you know, whatever you may have. <coughs> Cody Rhodes, great wrestler. Sammy Guevara, great up-and-coming wrestler. I hope Sammy actually wins the rematch, whether it's a ladder match or not. But whatever the indication is that happens here, in my opinion, Sammy Guevara needs to win. He is a pillar of AEW. And I don't think that Cody needs a belt to survive in AEW. I think that there are other things that he could be doing, such as a feud with, like he had with, Al with Malachi Black and Andrade. He could have a feud with anybody else in that company and not have to have it be for a title. Um, and I think that Sammy Guevara needs it more to put that belt on his back and uh, run with it and run with that whole division and allow him to have great matches again with Jay Lethal and with Adam Cole. One of the Young Bucks, both of the Young Bucks. There are so many guys on that roster that could challenge Sammy Guevara. And then when you find somebody better, let that person win the title and move on with it and do their best to strap it to their back also. 
AEW, just be careful with the way you're booking things. It doesn't always have to be a repackaged version of something we've seen already. So, that's going to do it for me here tonight. I want to thank you all for joining me, as always. I want to thank Nick Maxson. I want to implore you to continue to listen to all the great shows on the We Can't Wrestle um, podcast and WrestleNet Radio Network. Um, and until next time, I'll see you next week on If You Smell, what the arch is cooking. <laughs>